Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. All right, good evening, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. We'll begin in verse 10. Genesis chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 10. Um, this is another one of those pesky genealogies. We looked at a genealogy last week, and we had a genealogy in chapter 5. And what am I going to do with another genealogy, you might ask? Um, a couple of things. Um, first off, tonight will be our last night in Genesis for a while. We're going we're gonna to break here uh, before we really get going into Abraham. And, and, uh, and next week, we're going to start a series in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is all about how a Christian should live in a hostile environment. Okay? That's really something very relevant for us. Uh, and also because um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis really function as, functions as a, as a um, uh, prologue to the rest of the book. If, if, you, if you look at the first 11 chapters, that's 11 chapters that covers hundreds and hundreds of years. And the rest of Genesis, uh, it just goes from Abraham to his grand, great-grandson. Uh, it, it, it deals with, with Abraham in 12 and a half chapters. It deals with... Um, it, Isaac is just kind of an overlap character that goes from... Uh, from um, Abraham, basically straight to Jacob without a whole lot. He's just kind of overlapping in between them. Jacob, um, he covers about 10 chapters. And then we have Joseph covering about 13 chapters for the rest of the book. So most of Genesis is all about Abraham and his family. Um, the first 11 chapters that we've been looking at is all just driving home and driving to get to Abraham. We see the beginning of creation with God creating all of the world. He created all of, of the dry land and the sea. And he, he created all of the animals. He created everything. He created man and woman and put them in a perfect place for them to live. That's important. He put them in a perfect place for them to live. And we see a promise that comes later to Abraham that he's told to go to a land that's a promised land, okay, a place that's intended for him to live. And as Jane read about tonight, we are looking forward to a city. We are looking forward to a city that will last forever, that will not have the kind of, of uh, discord and, and things, but it will be ruled by a righteous King Jesus forever and ever and ever. We see chapter 3 in the book of Genesis, in, in this, this prologue of, of, of Genesis, uh, of, of the problem of sin coming into the world, and, and how Adam and Eve broke God's law. They brought sin and death into the world. Um, and right there in the chapter, it gives us a, a, a couple of things that take place. There's a curse upon the serpent, where there'll be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Um, 
And, and it promises us also that there will be one day be a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, who will come and crush Satan's skull. We see this anticipated in chapter 4, whenever um, Cain and Abel are born, and, and, and Eve is, is ex- expectant. She, when, when Cain is born, she says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, and she's expecting maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be the seed of the woman, my descendant, who will crush serp- the serpent's head. And her hopes are dashed. Cain kills his brother, and another seed is provided. And at the end of chapter 4, she has Seth, and and it tells us, she said, God has provided another seed in hopes of that seed of the woman that was to come to crush Satan's head. Chapter 5, then, we have the genealogy that's very much like the genealogy we're looking at tonight. Chapter 5 was a linear genealogy. It went from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. All connected one man to his his son, to his son, to his son, to his son. And there's ten people, ten people listed in that genealogy. Tonight, we're looking at another genealogy that has ten people. And I think that's that's significant, that there's ten people in the first genealogy we're going to look at. We're actually going to look at kind of two, maybe. Um, and what we see as the point of that genealogy in, gene- in chapter 5 was that it's, it's, for one, it's saying, and he died, and he died, and he died. So it's, it's laying out the consequences of sin, how each generation, though they live these long, spectacularly long lives, each one came to the end of his days and died. And the curse upon sin was fulfilled in them. And... Um, we also see in that original genealogy there is a line of descent of the seed of the woman. So it's coming from, Ab- uh, from Adam to Seth to his son all the way down until you get to Lamech who has this son and he says, I'm going to name my son Noah because he will bring us rest from the curse upon the ground and from the labor of our hands. So he's looking forward to that seed of the woman promised of back in Genesis 3. We see that uh, as a major point of chapter 5. In chapter 6 through chapter 9, we see the the story of Noah and the flood and how, how he is a savior figure, someone who kind of points us forward to Jesus, the ultimate savior, in the fact that God basically wipes out the whole world. Not basically, he did. He wipes out the whole world except for for Noah and his family and everybody that was in the ark with him. But after the after the flood, we see Noah is still a sinner. He is still broken, and, and, and he sins, and his, sons, his son sins, Ham, and, and we see the whole thing all kind of unravel again, all over again. And we see how, how the people, uh, in, in the last chapter we looked at, in, in chapter 10, in the beginning of chapter 11, how they wanted to build a name for themselves. They wanted to build a name for themselves and they wanted to, to build a city and a tower that would reach the heavens. Uh, they, they were proud and boastful. They didn't want to go out and spread about, uh, across the earth, but, in, but they did when God confused the languages and, and separated them out. And it tells us about how every family of the earth was all 
are all coming from the, these three sons of Noah. And how we're all one big human family. So these genealogies we've looked at before, one was tracing the line of the seed of the woman. Last week the one we looked at was seeing how humanity spread out across the earth. And so it wasn't, it wasn't linear, it was, it was uh, um, spread out. And tonight we're looking at another gene, uh, linear one, and it's going to trace the line of the seed of the woman again. We'll, look, we'll begin in verse 10 of chapter 11. It says, These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad five hundred years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived thirty-five years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber uh, lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu uh, 209 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Reu lived 32 years, he fathered Sirig. And Reu lived after he fathered Sirig 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sirig had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sirig lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years, and he had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, uh, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram's, his son, Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I'm going to go three more verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, um, Lord, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we thank you, Lord, that 
your word is perfect and it is it is inerrant and it is living so that uh, Lord you uh, you have inspired your word so that we might be fully equipped that you might um, um, teach us and instruct us by it father give us ears to hear and eyes to see don't allow this um, genealogy just to be a list of names to us but lord help us to see your glory and your work upon these pages father be with me and give me strength in jesus name amen see how long i last in this heat i am sweating um a few things to start off uh, we see it begins with these are the generations of and we've seen that phrase throughout Genesis um, so far. It was used in chapter 2 when it said these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. It was used in chapter 5 whenever it began the genealogy of Adam. It said these are the generations of Adam. Uh, it was used uh, earlier whenever we were talking about Noah and, and his uh, descendants. And now it's used here. It will be also used, it's actually used twice here, uh, signifying the beginning of a, of, a, of a genealogy, the beginning of a new account. And it's used later on with Ishmael, with uh, Jacob, and, and other others um, later on in the book. So each one of those, these are the um, generations of, is, is a kind of a, a new literary unit, a new break in the narrative. And so something new is happening here. Um, we follow this list of names and a couple of observations. One is the the ages of these people, these ancient people, seems seem to get lower and lower and lower. We remember before the flood, God had said, "I won't bear with man. My spirit won't bear with man any longer. His, his lifespan is going to be 120 years old." It doesn't happen immediately after the flood, but we see this this gradual diminishment of the lifespan of human beings. We see that uh, Shem lived 500 years, but he had lived um, 100 years before the flood. He had experienced what life was like before the flood had come. And uh, our Pakshab, he lived 403 years. We had uh, four, 403 years for um, Eber, 430 for Peleg, but it, uh, it, then it drops down to 207 and 200 years. And then 119 years. So you can see the lifespans are dropping. Uh, I think that's in fulfillment to what God said before the flood. He would not abide with, with man forever. His spirit would not abide with man forever. But, but uh, So the human beings' lifespans began to drop. Um, another thing we might notice, if you do the math, and I just discovered this this afternoon. Uh, it wasn't an original discovery to me. I, I was listening to someone else talk about this passage. And uh, if you do the math, Shem would have still been alive when Abraham was born and would have outlived Abraham. He would have still been alive after Abraham. And, and all of these people that lived during this genealogy would have all lived at the same time. Um, they would have maybe known one another. It's possible, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it's possible that Abram would have known of Shem. Maybe would have been able to hear the story of what life was like before the flood from Shem himself. Possible. 
Um, another thing, why do they write down these genealogies? Why do they write down things like this that's just record keeping? Um, I think that probably one of the reasons why they wrote down these things is because of that hope. That hope that they were looking for the messianic seed. They were looking for that seed of the woman who was to come. And this believing community, maybe starting with Shem and, and, and each of these descendants following Shem, these, these people who were having hope in the promised one to come, uh, were writing down and recording the generations and each one as they wrote down, they thought maybe this will be the one. And this is speculation, but why else would they write it down? Maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be the, the one who will be who will be the one who will come and crush the serpent's head. We come down to Terah and we see something different. Every other generation it listed one son and then it said he had other sons and daughters. One son, he had other sons and daughters. We come down to Terah and it says he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We have three sons here. Now that's also something we can see a pattern. Adam. Adam had three sons that are recorded and had other sons and daughters. He had Cain, Abel, and Seth. Uh, we see the same thing with Noah. We come to Noah, and Noah had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. We come to this point in the genealogy, and we see there's a pattern here. It's, it's three sons again. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And we come to this point in the genealogy and we should think something important is here. Something is important. Otherwise, it would just be one to the next, to the next, to the next. Instead, we have three names that are given here. And then we see another, these are the generations of. We just had that a few verses ago. But we've got another. This is a start of a new thing. And here, it's the generations of Terah. And here it lists, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran, Haran fathered Lot. And Lot is a character we would know if we, if we know what happens in the rest of Genesis. He was Abraham's nephew who, who followed along with him. And we see that here in this text as well. And Haran died in the presence of his father in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So before they ever left, Haran died before his father. Terah experienced the death of his child. He was a, a, a believer, apparently. He, he, he was a part of this messianic line. And... Um, he experienced the pain and the tragedy of losing a son. Now, we see that somewhat like uh, Abel. Maybe there was this expectation, this hope that Haran, maybe Haran would be the one. But yet he dies. And his, his the hopes of his father are dashed again. He dies in the presence of his father. He doesn't get to go on to, to leave the land. And instead, so Abraham and Nahor, they take wives. Okay, We're expecting this seed. We're expecting this descendant of Eve to come. And the only way that's going to happen is if those sons of, of Terah take wives. And so they do. It says they take wives. The name of um, Abram's wife was Sarai. And we know her story. 
And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. We don't know her story. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. So from that little detail, we see that Nahor married his niece. Right? Milcah was the daughter of Haran's brother. I'm sorry, uh, Nahor's brother, Haran. So, one thing that's important for us to see, whenever we read these things in the Old Testament, when we read these accounts, the Old Testament narratives like this are descriptive, not prescriptive. They're describing what happened. They're not necessarily always something for us to follow an example. <laughs> because, and we can know that because later on, uh, in Deuteronomy and in the law that's given, Moses writes out positive commands saying not to marry those close relatives like that. But this is what happened in the, in the time of the patriarchs. Um, we also know from later... Uh, later on, whenever um, Abram deals with uh, Abimelech, uh, if you know the story about Abraham, Abraham uh, he 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 goes uh, to the camp of Abimelech, and and uh, he he's afraid because Sarah is beautiful, and he doesn't want uh, him to, himself to get killed so that Abimelech can take his wife Sarah, and so he says, "Tell him you're my sister," and. When Abimelech questions, what did you do this to me for? Abraham said, well, she was my sister. <laughs> she she was this, had the same father but different mother. We see these kinds of things that are strange to us in these ancient texts. Um, it is not an example for us to follow. Instead, it's just recording the facts. Uh, that's one thing about uh, the Bible. You know, um, it doesn't shy away from things that are taboo. It doesn't shy away from those things. You know, if we were wanting to write something ourselves, some kind of religious text, uh, to try to persuade people to believe what we believe, what would we do? We would try to make everybody glowing and perfect. and every, every But no, the Bible, it presents a realistic picture of people, and it, it presents people warts and all, doesn't it? So, plus, we also have to remember, at that time, the human gene pool was pretty small. <laughs> we're, we're talking ten generations from the flood, where you only had one family left in the whole world. So, what was okay in Abraham's time was not, not, is not, uh, not carried out for the rest of human history. So Abram and Nahor, they take these wives, we see these names, and then it tells us another thing that we should pause at in verse 30. We should pause when we hear, now Sarah was barren. She had no child. The whole point of this genealogy is what? It's, it's telling us about this line of the seed of the woman that's going to come. It's telling us about this promise that one day a descendant of Eve is going to have a son who will crush Satan's head. And here we come to this person in this line and we see it says Sarai was barren. She had no child. And we should feel the tension that's there. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? There's, there's a problem here. There's a problem that... that 
how is God going to overcome this obstacle? And we see that in the story of Abraham. We know the story, how it, how it comes about. Um, God promises that He would have a son from His wife Sarai, even though she's over 90 years old. And God miraculously provides this child, um, Isaac, It is so unbelievable that even Sarah and Abram don't believe it. And, and Sarai takes matters into her own hands and, and says, here, take my servant girl and have a child by her. Again, it's being descriptive, describing what happened, rather than being prescriptive. We see that that was, a, as, as, was an act of, not, of unbelief on Abram's part. He didn't believe God's promise. Though he was overall a man who believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, he had a moment where his faith was weak. You know, apply that for a moment now. We, we, may, we may be believers and because we believe, you know, it, it only takes a mustard seed of faith to move mountains, right? We just, sometimes, like... In the Bible, in the narratives about Jesus, it says uh, there's there's this story where where um, uh, a man says, "I believe Jesus, help my unbelief," right? And sometimes we feel like our faith is weak. We feel like we just cannot believe and and continue going. Even a man like Abraham, who is the picture in the Bible of what faith is, had moments in which he was unbelieving, and that ought to be an encouragement for us. When we feel weak, we can remember even Abraham. Even Abraham had his moments. Well, then it says, Terah took Abram his, his son, Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and Abram's, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Canaan. And remember, who, Moses is writing this. Moses is writing this to the people of Israel after they come out of Egypt and they're getting ready to go into the promised land of Canaan. And so what we're seeing here is Terah, hundreds of years before um, the Exodus ever occurred, um, was already on his way to the promised land. He was already on his way to Canaan. This land that God promises Abram, Terah's son, that he would have. But her, uh, Terah never gets to see it. It says the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. At this place where they set up camp on their way to the, to the promised land, on their way to um, Canaan, he dies. Similar to what we see in what Jane read from earlier from, from Hebrews. All of these Old Testament saints, they, they look forward to what was coming. They look forward to the city whose architect and builder was God, but yet they did not get to lay hold of the promises like we do in Jesus. After this... Uh, after Tira dies. I'm just going to look at the very first three verses of the next chapter, and we're going to see 
some things that kind of lay the course for for the answer to the problem. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's supposed to leave Ur, Haran, whichever. He's supposed to leave where he's at and go where? When, when God says it here in chapter 12, He says, to a land that I will show you. He's not even telling him where. And God's voice, just like, just like whenever He says, let there be light and there's light. When He says to Abram, get up and go, Abram gets up and goes, even though he doesn't know where he's going. He goes. And he says, I will make of you a great nation. The last chapter, we saw all of these different nations of the earth in chapter 10. All of these different nations that spread out after Babel. And God is telling Abram here, I'm going to make you one of these great nations. I'm going to make you one of these great nations. And, and he says, I will bless you and make your name great. What was it they wanted at Babel? They said, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be proud and boastful and, and, and make a name for ourselves. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great name. I will bless those who bless you. And, dis, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham and in his seed and in his descendant that one day comes after him, you follow Abraham's line down to Isaac and to Jacob and to Judah and on the way down until you get to David and he's promised a son who will sit on his throne who will last forever and ever and ever. And we come to the beginning of the New Testament with this genealogy just like we have right here. A genealogy that opens up the very first pages of Matthew in the New Testament and it draws a line from Abraham all the way to Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. Following this line of the seed of the woman who would come to crush the serpent's head. We need to have faith in that same seed that Abraham had faith in. We need to have faith in that promised one, except we've got it from a completely different perspective. Because all of those Old Testament saints who were looking forward to the one to come, they, they died without seeing it. Just like Terah died in Haran. He never got to see the promised land. We experience a new reality where Jesus has come. He has come and He is King now. He has defeated death. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified. He died and rose again on our behalf. He is our substitute. We can put our faith in this One and He counts His righteousness to us. His name is great. 
Jesus' name is great. He, he promised to make Abram a great name, but Jesus' name is the name above every name, isn't it? And one day, we will worship Jesus like it says in the book of Revelation. And I, 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 we, we, we point this out often. Like it says in the book of Revelation, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God had promised Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Jesus, that promise is not just to Abraham's family, but that promise is now opened up to the Gentiles. It is now opened up to all the families of the earth. Anyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, regardless of of, uh, socioeconomic status, regardless of male, female, regardless of anything, we have a promise in Jesus. We have a blessing of Abraham when we look to Him in faith. So all of that, from this genealogy, what we get from this is we need to have the kind of faith that inspired these people to write down these names. We need to have the faith that causes us to do something about it that we believe a promise. We need to live a life that, that backs up our faith by what we do. These people who were living, you know, if they didn't believe these promises, why would they write them down? And if we believe Jesus, if we trust in Him, we need to remember His promises and live like we really believe it. Like He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is with us. When we go into difficult circumstances, whatever we face this week or last week, Jesus is with us. He is with us always. He gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. And we have His presence with us. So all I can say in response to that is look to Him. Look to Jesus. Look to the seed of the woman who came, who defeated death for us. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.